Do you want to turn your pain into power? Then look no further than SleepyMonkeyTrainingAcademy.com. Go to SleepyMonkeyTrainingAcademy.com for meditation, mobility, and mace. Sleepy Monkey is a movement art that brings strength and balance to the body and mind. Located in Pennsylvania, right outside of Philadelphia. If you're in uh, New Jersey, you're in that portion of um, Pennsylvania, you're close enough that you could go visit. But start off by going to Sleepy Training Acad- SleepyMonkeyTrainingAcademy.com and check it out. Uh, there's shirts you could buy, and uh, you could send a message to Andrew over there, who is the owner, and you could uh, you know, talk with him and see if his fitness system is right for you. His fitness system is unique. He has a certain way of practicing. Like I said, there's meditation and uh, he he handles people doing massages and things like that, but he also trains mace and other things like that. But you got to go to sleepymonkeytrainingacademy.com to get started. All right, guys. Enjoy the podcast. Yo, dude. Well, my friend, how are you? What's happening, man? You know, doing the thing, just wrapping up a morning of teaching. Now just hanging out until I teach again this evening. So you basically have classes in the morning and at night, and then in the middle of the day, you're a bum. Yeah, more or less. Yeah. yeah. So I uh, I start on my first session Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday at 5.15 or 5.30 a.m. local time. Oh, local time. And then I will do like a 6.30 or a 7 and then an 8. And then I'll kind of keep as busy as I can until about now-ish normally. And then I just hang out through the afternoon. Um, My kid goes to school in the morning. So then I hang out with her through the afternoon. We do whatever. And uh, yeah, back to the studio in the evening to teach some steel mace classes and back home and in bed by 9.30. Oh, like a good boy. How old's your daughter? Or is it a daughter or, or son? Yeah, a daughter. She yeah. will be five in February. Oh, nice, man. I got a nine-year-old daughter. Daughters are awesome. I agree. Yeah. I have another one way, actually. March 17th is the due date. Uh, no, March 17th? Yeah. Wow, dude. Good for you. All right. Congratulations on that. Thank hope, you. Hope you get some sleep. <laughs> Me too. Fingers crossed. <laughs> now, here's a segue for you. Speaking of getting some sleep. Yes, <laughs> that was something you did not achieve um, uh, when you tried your 24 hour swing marathon. You did not sleep for what, about 15 hours you made it? So I yeah, I made it 15 hours into the swing. If we're talking just how long the guy was awake, it ended up well. So I woke up at about nine o'clock that day and I got back home at about 5 a.m. the next day. So about 20 hours, I was awake uh, on my feet doing the thing. And then I had a nice little four-hour nap on my, what I call my dad chair, nice leather recliner, you know, it's got lights and stuff. It's pretty fancy. And then I uh, woke up, 
ate, went and laid right back down and slept for probably another, I don't know, 15 hours, 12 hours. Oh, oh, there was the big sleep right there. Yeah. Wow. You were out cold for like 15 or 20 hours or? Uh, it was, I'm trying to think now. So, um, yeah, I napped for about four hours, got up for hour or two just to eat. And then I slept. So when that, and then I slept 12, yeah, 15 hours. Wow. That's, that's crazy. Now for anybody listening, catching this episode, what we're talking about is Zach Yannick, Mr. Frankenlegs here, uh, is like one of the only people who has continuously swung a steel mace or a gata or anything like that, that we know of. I mean, this is a get Guinness sort of situation. Uh, he attempted to go 24 hours. He made it 15 hours, which is amazing in of itself. I don't even think people expected you to go to eight hours and, and you still went that far. Now, if anybody's interested, you could go back to episode 198 because that's where uh, we did a pregame, right? We did a podcast before you did the swing and we, you talked about your past experience with long-term swinging. I think that's what we're going to call this long-term swinging. And um, you talked about that. You talked about what you expected to achieve and you talked about, you know, past experiences with that, with that stuff. And uh, so now we're doing the follow-up. You're, you're rested up, you're um, mentally back uh, focused to where you have a conversation Um and I want to hear about all this because I remember in episode 198, you did mention when you ch attempted uh, a long cycle, a long-term swing, I think nine hours or something, that you were actually, um, afterwards, you were sort of disconnected from reality and, sure. and stuff. So was this the same thing that happened again? Was it more? Did, did you have an outer body experience? Did you meet God? <laughs> not quite this time uh i as far as like the mental aspect went it was uh a totally different one than i've ever experienced before which was interesting so in the past i've done a, a nine hour set i've done a 12 hour set and now I've, I've done this 15 hour set and i've done a lot of endurance swinging with the indian clubs as well where i've done six hours 12 hours 18 hours and 24 hours with the clubs and something that has been consistent up until this one is I hit multiple, what I like to refer to as walls as I go through the, the, the set, where generally it's at the 10 minute mark, I find the first wall, then 30 minute mark, I find the next one, the hour mark, the two hour mark, and then it's generally every few hours after that, I find these walls. And to briefly describe what these walls are is they're the point of, oh my God, this sucks so much. I don't want to do this. I don't want to be here. Everything hurts. Like there's that physical and mental barrier to complete the set and if i can just push through those walls then everything starts to feel a little bit better everything gets a little lighter everything goes a little bit numb for a second or two and it's generally once i pushed through those walls where i start to have well let's call them the spiritual experiences where maybe my mind goes into a little bit of a different place or i start to see things out of the corner of my eye but I made it through six hours very smoothly this time. There wasn't really any wall to push through, nothing like that. Six hours went by quite simple. And then at about the seven hour mark, there's a little bit of a wall, but nothing major. I pushed through it okay, was feeling good. 
I hit the eight hour mark and I had a real big wall to push through and it kind of sucked. And then I hit nine hours and the wall just kind of never stopped uh, after that. So at about the nine hour mark, I started to experience a little bit of pain in my shoulder. And so this podcast is brought to you by addxclub.com. Addxclub.com for adjustable steel mace and adjustable steel club. Have you seen these things? Have you checked them out? Go to addxclub.com and take a look at what they have. These are state-of-the-art mace technology at its finest, made in the USA. Look at the Addx arc. It's in between lengths of the clubs and the mace. So the, the club is the shortest, the arc is the next longest, and then the mace is the longest. But most people only train with either clubs or mace. How often do they go with an in-betweener? Technically, a arc is nothing more than a bulva, a short mace. Uh, but we don't call it that because we call it the arc. So go check it out. Check out everything there and when you place your order, tell Don Fred sent you. For the next six hours, I just, every swing on my left side had to be a little bit modified to try and avoid that pain. And if I slipped up and forgot to do that little bit of a modification, then I would feel like someone stabbed me in the shoulder. And that prevented me, I guess, from being able to really dial out and, and zen out or, or find that meditative state, that flow state, and uh, be kind of trapped in my body for those six hours. So for six hours, it was just a wall, uh, the deepest, thickest, dirtiest wall I've ever had to push through. And I just, at that 15 hour mark, I just, I, six hours of, of one wall, I just couldn't do it anymore. And my shoulder was hurting. And, uh, and yeah, it was, it was tough to call to say, okay, I'm done. But I was starting to hit the point where I was like, my shoulder just keeps getting worse. If I keep trying to push through, maybe I'll get another hour, but I might not pick up a mace again kind of thing. So I, I'm very glad my mom was there. So my mom is very supportive of everything I've done in my life, but especially these endurance events, she, she comes and she hangs out with me for huge chunks of them. And she could tell that I was not doing well when she came around that eight, nine hour mark. So she ended up staying through the night, uh, to just in case something went wrong. So she like, she went and found, uh, we were storing one of my daughter's like crib mattresses there, uh, at the studio. So she went and grabbed that and like laid it on the floor so she could like lay down at least a little bit and, and just be there for you be there for me. And so she stuck through and I was so grateful that she was there. Cause there was a moment where she came to check on me and I just looked at her and I was like, can you please tell me it's okay to stop? Like, <laughs> like until like it, it, that's the thing. Like if she wasn't there, I would have kept going until I got hurt. I know that for a fact, just because. No kidding. Wow. So I'm very grateful that she was there because it helped give me the, the strength to say that's enough. So I, uh, afterwards though, I, um, I definitely for, well, for the next several days I had, well, I have some blank spaces, some things that kind of drifted away. My my concept of time 
just completely gets destroyed for quite a quite a while actually it's still not quite back in that sense where like where like i'll do something and it'll feel like i've been doing it for five minutes but it's really been an hour or i'll hyper focus in on something and it feels like i've been doing it for three hours but it's only been three minutes kind of thing like my my concept of time just gets annihilated and so i have i did still experience that afterwards for sure but the the biggest mental and emotional thing after the set was i i just got down and it wasn't even so much of like, there was, of course, the, I felt like I failed a little bit. There was that. I did because I, I set out for this task and uh, I didn't accomplish it. So there was a day or two where I just felt like a failure and I didn't want to look at my phone because I couldn't handle people congratulating me on a failure. I like, I completely disconnected from the world for a couple days. And then I, I started to think of some things and uh, actually like luckily my mom and I and my daughter were heading out to my grandparents uh, around the Christmas break there for a couple of nights and they live about an hour away. So my mom was driving and we were talking a little bit and my mom's in the fitness industry as well. So she knows about things like smart goals and all that kind of thing. So we were talking about smart goals specifically, specific, measurable, action oriented, realistic and time constrained. And she was saying how she didn't realize that I had not, uh, or she, she didn't realize that, how to phrase this? She was wondering why I pushed to 15, essentially, because she knew that at nine hours, my shoulder was giving me grief and she knew that 12 hours was my best. So when I did 13 hours, she expected me to stop, but I kept pushing to 15. And the reason I did that is with the mace, I have always gone up in three hour increments. I did six hours. I did nine hours. I did 12 hours. So I was like 15 hours. I can, I can be happy with that because it's the, the regular jump. So she had heard me talking about that to someone else. And she was like, that made me click why you did 15. But then I also got curious why the hell you would shoot for 12, 24 hours when 12 was your highest. She's oh, yes. Okay. Yeah. So she's, she's looking at it from the angle where, you're digging way too deep uh, yeah. and and you should have had a more modest goal. Yeah. So how she phrased it was, she goes, Zach, you know about SMART goals. You should have set a SMART goal, not a SMAT goal. Because it was specific. It was measurable. It was action oriented. It was time constrained, but it was not realistic at this point. You missed the heart. And I was like, you know what? You're right. I, uh, I, and I know why it happened. Because I had done 24 hours with the Indian clubs in June. I was like, I can be on my feet for 24 hours. I know I can be on my feet for 24 hours. I think that's that's the limiting factor. So that's why I set 24 for this one, thinking that it would be just the being upright. That would be the challenge for that extended period of time. Uh, I was wrong. Uh, yes, being upright for that long was challenging. My knees hurt afterwards. My feet hurt afterwards for days afterwards, uh, days afterwards. But that shoulder was what did me in and it's still given me a little bit of grief it's definitely sore still it's not hurt by any stretch of the imagination anymore but it's still sore and i uh as much as i hate to say it i'm pretty confident i could have gotten at least 18 hours maybe not 24 but at least 18 hours had i not played rugby this season but having played rugby this season and tweaking the shoulder a little bit it was just as soon as it had hit its breaking point it let me know and it, it kept letting me know well, that's, you know, that's the way life is, right? This is, this is good stuff. 
um, just taking this challenge, it, it, it's a metaphor for life. It's a metaphor for living your life. And, and it, and like, you know, I don't know. I can cons- I, I consider myself a little bit of a meathead. So I need meathead ways of, of, of taking information in. And this is great. This has given me such an appreciation of, um, first of all, you're talking about setting up goals in a realistic way, right? Where, uh, how many of us, we, we have a goal, but when you tell your goal to people, they look at you like, what are you, what are you, Superman? You think you're really gonna, you're gonna get that done in a year? Like what, what the hell is going on here? So, I mean, this is great. Um, going back a little bit, I, I remember from episode 198, the, the takeaway I had about you after interviewing you was that you were able to get into the zone. You were experienced with this because of, of doing it before. And I kind of had it in my head like, all right, he's got a secret weapon. He could get into the zone, and that's going to carry him. But be darned, your shoulder screwed you up. And this is a metaphor for life. We have our weapons. We have our secret weapons. But how often do we face a challenge where we're not able to access those weapons? We're not able to. So we got we to gotta find a different place inside of our mind or inside of our heart where we can actually dig into and find something. And it sounds like you did, um, you know, because you were dealing with pain in your shoulder, which Anybody, you know, who's done anything where you're feeling even the tiniest little bit of pain, it's very disappointing because you had these high expectations going into something. And, you know, like how many times I've set myself up for a leg workout and I would start, you know, warming up and my knee starts bothering me. And I'm like, you know, I feel good today other than the knee. You know, and it's very disappointing. So you had to deal with disappointment What right in the middle of this, right? And then just that constant nagging, like almost annoyance of that kind of pain, you know, where it's like, once I feels good, out. Once I feels good, out. So there's that like little bit of like building annoyance, you know, like someone just tapping on you for nine hours. You're going to get frustrated after a while. Same idea there. Like after like three, four hours, I was, I was just frustrated. I was so annoyed at it. I like, I, I deal with pain. Well, I've hurt myself many a time as mentioned, I play rugby. Like, I, yeah, you're a rugby player. You know, I'm used to pain. Like the whole Frankenlegs name comes from having experienced multiple injuries in my life. Like I'm very accustomed to dealing with pain, but it was the, like the constant nagging annoyance and the frustration building and compounding and starting to hurt more and more and more that all stacked up just, yeah. At the end was the, uh, what broke me, but uh, it's interesting you talk about, or you mentioned dialing in, getting in the zone, because yeah, that is absolutely something that I, I do. And I generally, t- it takes multiple days normally to get into it. And this time around was easily the worst mental prep, the worst mental prep I've had going into one of these. I was having, I, I did a little too much leading into it in the sense that it was holiday season. So uh, I would get invited places and I would go. Or I would I had a friend come stay with us for a couple of days and we would did some work things together. And normally I just completely shut myself off off from the world for about a week so I can dial in, but I was still trying to be an active member of society, if you will. And so that was a thing. And then I and I I love being 
part of people's emotional support network network. I love being there to help people, but I had several people lean on me in ways in that sort of way. And again, normally would not be a problem and I love doing it, but it was just a little too much for me going into this process to the point I had to, I had to tell a couple of them, Hey, like, I love you. And I'm, you know, I'm always down to help you, but I have this thing coming up and I just, I can't put the emotional energy into this right now. And they understood, which was awesome because they're part of my network too, my support system too. But th that definitely drew me out of it a little bit. And then the morning of the, the swing uh, was atrocious. Like did not go my way in the slightest in the sense that I, so I wake up, I start getting things ready. Um, some things kind of start going wrong around the house, things not working, whatever. I'm like, screw it. I can't deal with that right now. I got to ignore it. Part of what I do when I do these big long swings is I set up something to entertain myself. So normally a TV with like anime playing or something like that. So I grabbed the TV that I normally use for it, took it to the studio, set it up, plugged it in, shit, forgot the remote control. So it's like negative 27 that day Celsius. So roughly the same, about negative 20 Fahrenheit that day. And so I'm like driving around in the cold and the ice being like starting to get nervous that I'm going to get like something bad's going to happen, right? Roads were shit. So for all I know, who knows, like maybe I'm going to slide off into a ditch. And so those thoughts are running through my head a little bit. I drive home, get the remote, drive back, turn the TV on, and it's just spider webbed. Oh, I, man. Without realizing it. I, I knew part of it had broken, but it got way worse without me realizing it. So then I had to come back home, grab a different TV, take it in, start getting it set up. It's not quite doing what it's supposed to end up. There ended up being like three or four. I ended up having to take three or four trips like to and from just to get set up. Then as I started to do like my mobility, things were feeling good, but like I was starting to have like connection issues with my computer a little bit and I was trying to live stream it so that people wouldn't think I was bullshitting them. <laughs> right. I was, that was starting to frustrate me, but then I was able to like, everything was set up. I was good. I was able to dial in. I started grinding, start grooving through at that about eight ish hour mark. I think it was roughly that seven, eight hour mark, right. As I was dealing with one of those walls, the live stream just stopped, just cut out entirely, just ended. Luckily my brother-in-law, Adam and my mom were there. So they were like trying to fix it as I was just swinging the mace. But then of course that gets the frustration starting to mount back up. Uh, and so it was, yeah, it was so hard this time to actually be like as dialed in as I normally am. And, uh, yeah, so I had, I had a few factors working against me and because of that and framing it like that made me realize what I really did accomplish. And I was able to start pulling myself out of that thought of, I failed at 24 hours and was able to start thinking of it as I accomplished 15 hours because right. I had through a lot of adversity just to start the damn thing. And then I was still able to get through 15 hours and I had things going wrong during, but I was able to push through those. And I was still able to get that 15. So I was still able to add three hours to my personal best, which is awesome. I'm so stoked on that. Right. And uh, I also, I just need to give a huge shout out to my Silmay Slow Education teammates, Jeff Oaks, because Jeff, uh, he's so good when it comes to wording and phrasing and utilizing how we speak to accomplish things essentially and uh i was taking out the garbage one day while i was like in my like deepest part of my funk you still got to live life right i'm still still father still husband still got to do those kind of things so i was taking out the garbage and i was thinking about man like i can't believe i failed 
can't believe it failed. And then I was like, I need to, I need to maybe not use that word. And I had the thought, what would Jeff do? What would Jeff Oaks do? And I was like, he would change how he's phrasing this. He would not have failed at something. He would have accomplished something. And so that's what I did. I switched it to, I didn't fail at 24 hours. I accomplished 15 hours and making that small change. Oh my goodness. Did it take a load off the shoulders? I started to feel a lot better about the whole thing. Now, when you said that to yourself, did you actually believe it when you said it or were you kind of like faking it till you made it? Absolutely that one. So I don't know if you know it, but I actually have that tattooed on the inside of my wrist. Fake it till you make it. No uh, kidding. Wow. Yeah. So growing up, I struggled with confidence. I know it might be hard to believe nowadays, but I struggled with confidence when I was growing up, uh, especially with public speaking. So whenever I would have to present something for school, my mom would say, hey, just pretend you're confident. Fake it till you make it. If you pretend you're confident, eventually you will be. If you That pretend- works, right? Eventually you will be. And here I am, right? I, I public speak for a living. I'm a confident individual. Uh, it works. So yeah, but there was absolutely that moment of, I had the realization I need to switch how I phrased it. So then I did switch how I phrased it, but it took me about two weeks to believe it myself. I'll be honest. Like I only started buying and do it about a week ago. Yeah. But you felt better as soon as you started doing it, even though you didn't truly believe it yet. Yeah. It started to lift that weight. Yeah. It absolutely did. It is, uh, it's amazing what words can do. It's amazing. I remember talking to somebody once and they said, uh, it's, Hey, it's just words. It doesn't matter. And I said, no, it's not just words. Words have meaning. Words have something attached to them, some significance attached to them. And that's where the power is. Words mean something. And they may just be noises. They may just be words, but it's the meaning that is important. Yeah. How, so how we phrase things, um, the words we use, even just the conversations we allow ourselves to have both internal and external have meaning, they have power. And we need to acknowledge that, I think. Yeah, we do. And, um, you know, people should be careful what words they choose. That's why they say, you know, before you say something, think a little bit first. Don't fly off the handle, especially if you're emotional, right? Absolutely. If you're angry or something, you're liable to scar people, especially kids or, you know, people who who are have been talked to negatively through their whole lives. And now you're doing it to them, too. And you don't mean it. But um, and then, you know, people will turn around and say, um, well, I didn't mean it that way. So stop feeling that way. Well, it's too late now. You know, you said it. So your your tongue is a weapon uh, for good or bad. It's like, it's that old toothpaste analogy, right? Your words are like toothpaste. Once you squeeze them out of the tube, you can't get them back in. Right. Yeah. And you you might not be able to have fresh breath after that. (laughs) Absolutely true. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely true. So you, you mentioned uh, Jeff Oaks and um, there, there's also Leo and Jamie Pinto and uh, everybody, um, the whole Steel Mace Flow team. Um, you guys, I, I noticed that right out of the get-go when I first was exposed to Steel Mace Flow, um, that all you guys are really big with um, team-oriented stuff and supporting each other. And is is um, is that still a growing thing amongst oh. your group, or, or does it kind of hit a ceiling? No, absolutely. We are always... How to phrase it? We definitely believe in the when one of us eat, we all need to eat kind of situation where we are. Yeah, we're very supportive of each other. We're always trying to grow the community. Uh, At the end of the day, how I like to phrase it is at the end of the day, if you swing mace, you're my brother. 
I don't care what style you do. I don't care who you learn from. I don't care what your thoughts are on me. If you swing a mace, you're part of this community. That means you're part of my family and let's grow together. So the, yeah, that's the big thing is we, all of us have very much a growth mindset and we are looking at growing the team. We're looking at growing the individuals within the team. We're interested in growing, of course, the steel mace flow practice, but we're also interested in just growing mace as a whole. Um, Because at the end of the day, it's this thing that we love, like we love it. And if we didn't love it, we wouldn't be investing the sheer amount of time, energy, money, travel, all of that into helping people learn it and to learn it better ourselves. Um, That's one of the things I always loved about or still love about being on this education team that I'm on is they are all still students as well. There's not a single one of them that's like, yeah, no, I got this. I'm good. I don't I don't need to learn anymore. We're all trying to take each other's classes. We're trying to take other people's classes. We're trying to learn uh, through other avenues outside of MACE that we can then bring into MACE, which is always huge. Um, Even just like the vocal thing, like I mentioned, like um, that comes from, I want to say the Enlifted certification. Uh, Jeff was very big into like Enlifted and Strong Coach and that sort of thing. And then he's taken that and he's started to develop his own well, I want to say he calls it uh, intention and flow program, which then is educating his students. Then his students come into one of our classes. And it's it's just this really cool spider web of growth uh, where instead of like in a lot of a lot of models of education is is it's essentially like a flow chart. Right. There's the one thing and then it kind of gets trickled down where I definitely find the steel mace flow team and education team and world is much more of a spider web where it's all twisting and turning and things are connected in weird ways. And you might start here, but then you kind of do this one and you learn from these people and you end up back over here or whatever it is. Uh, It creates some phenomenal coaches, but some really, really strong Mace athletes as well, which is always awesome to see. Yeah, that's really wild. And, you know, I'm big on the whole Mace community thing too. That's like one of the messages that I've been trying to drive out there recently um, because my intentions, my thoughts are that we have um, a tribe, you know, the Mace community. And I've, I've talked about uh, the differences between steel Mace flow and Viking Ninja. And I don't really know a lot about Viking Ninja. And I've said this before, and I'm not trying to be, um, uh, I don't want, I'm not trying to start anything here negative, but Isik blocked me for no reason other I'm, than I'm also blocked by him. I've never said a word to him. Yeah. Um, yeah, essentially, there was a moment in time, from what I understand, there's a moment in time where him and Leo were tight. Then there was a moment where there was a bit of a falling out. And when that falling out happened, uh, Essek essentially just blocked anyone who was in any way connected to Leo. So um, as someone who had had him on the podcast, I'm sure that's probably what did that. And you've got done the certification, which probably uh, led to the blocking. I obviously hang out with Leo. Uh, so I got blocked as well. And um, I try, I don't take it personally. Yeah. Uh, I completely understand how, if there is something that could be, I don't like to use the word triggering, but if there's something that was a little triggering to you on your feed, yeah, you don't want to see that shit. And the easiest way is just to block people. Now, yeah, that's a good point. I'm personally, I personally pride myself on the fact that I've never blocked anybody. I have, I've restricted people's profiles so that they couldn't comment on my things before, but they can still access it and they can still see it. 
I've never fully blocked people, but I do understand why a person might want to, might feel the need to block a person. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, whatever the differences are between Leo and Isik is between them and it's none of our business really. Um, but what is sort of our business and maybe I'm being a little, uh, too bold here, but, um, is the rest of the Viking Ninja community and the rest of the Steel Mace Flow community because there's there's people that have both certifications. Exactly. Yeah, and 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 we it's a small community. If you add them all up, everybody's whatever certification. If you add them all up, we are a sliver of a pie, and we actually are sitting on something that's very precious because we're a tribe, and we can fundamentally change the world in some way maybe a small way but i believe it's through the the love of the mace right that's our connection point doesn't matter what your political views are whatever all that goes away and you and me oh we're going to talk about mace we're going to swing mace the conversations are interesting um, it's a, it's an icebreaker. You know, you run into somebody that knows anything about a mace. Well, I don't need to know nothing else about you. You're all right. Exactly. But we, you know, we could tap into this warrior mindset. I know you've done that. Um, and, and I mean, like what's, what's the name of your business? Warrior flow, baby. Warrior flow. Why? Why is it called warrior flow? Well, you know what? So the first moment I touched a mace, I felt more emboldened, empowered than I ever had before. I felt like a warrior, as you said. I felt like I had that warrior mindset. And then actually what happened was I started teaching a class called Warrior Women because it was female only. And I wanted the women to feel like warriors. I wanted them to feel that same empowerment. And then it only lasted a month uh, because their husbands wanted to join. So then uh. I had to change the name. Couldn't call it Warrior Women anymore. I just started to get into the flow world and realizing how beneficial flow style of movement can be for both the physical, the mental, and the emotional. So I was like, perfect. We'll call it warrior flow. We'll combine the warrior aspect, the the yang, if you will, with the flow aspect, the yin. That's terrific. Yeah. And I think a lot of people really do um, uh, sink their teeth into that. Uh, I, I feel like most of the people, maybe not everybody, Maybe some people are like, come on, we're not real warriors, you know, but it's, it's not, it's not the fact that are we like a gladiator fighting in a battle, um, you know, in a, in a, in an arena, um, or fighting for a, a water source or something like that with our tribe, but the mindset, you know, yeah. the, the, to, to, to bring ourselves up a level of, you know, kind of like reach back into our ancestry, pull it into our modern day world and say, this is who we are. And and then all the teachings that go behind the warrior mindset, the warrior philosophy. I mean, there's so many different uh, books and, you know, there's there's samurais, there's, um, you know, the, the ancient uh, Persian warriors, for instance, and things like that. And they have tradition and history and there's teachings in there and when you walk around with the warrior mindset what are you doing you're you're actually um carrying yourself differently 
Now, how would you size that up as far as applying mo the the warrior mindset to um, us modern day people living the cushy lifestyle? Man, now you're talking my language. So uh, I I will say this. I'll, I'll lay it all out on the line with this phrase. I believe everybody is a warrior because everybody is fighting a battle of some kind. To me, that's what a warrior is. It's somebody who is facing a battle and they're stepping up and they are taking that battle on. There's that saying, uh, be gentle with people because you don't know what battles they're going through. And it's, it's facts because everyone is fighting something. Maybe it's financial. Maybe it's emotional. Maybe it's mental health. Maybe it's a literal battle coming up. Maybe they are an MMA fighter about to step in the cage. Maybe on February 3rd, they're going to have their professional wrestling debut uh, and they're preparing for something like that. Maybe Whatever. they live in a tough neighborhood. Maybe and... they live in a tough neighborhood. Maybe they are dealing with systemic violence that has happened for generations in their community, in their family, um, in... We talked earlier about maybe this person has had harsh words thrown their way their whole life, and now they're out there in society trying to do the thing, surrounded by the harshness of humanity. Um, everyone has a battle, meaning everybody is a warrior. And if we can switch into that mindset of I am a warrior and I am stepping into this battle, I am stepping into the arena, uh, the, the beautiful Roosevelt speech, right? The man in the arena. Uh, yeah, I love that. Love it. I actually, th that was, that's part of my mental prep is I listen to a uh, a version of that speech before I go do these swings. Uh, that and Lord Byron's Charge of the Light Brigade, but I digress. Um, if you step up to the arena, you are a warrior. If you take that impassioned step, that's where things start to change, though. When you when you approach it as you're not being forced into the arena, but you are you are glad to be there. You are grateful to be there because it's in battle that a warrior can really test their mettle, can really figure out who they are. And by overcoming that battle, maybe not winning it, but by overcoming that battle, that's the mark of the fully embodied warrior i would say if you can if you can face the everyone's a warrior but if you can face the task at hand if you can face the battle and you can survive if you can come through the other side all sorts of love and respect for you 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 fully embodied that warrior um now i love too that you you talked about a little bit of like the hit the historical warriors the warriors in our history i am a big believer in the theory of genetic memory. Now, if you don't know the theory of genetic memory, it's this idea that we have memories essentially stored in our very DNA. And uh, there's all sorts of really interesting things about this. That whole Assassin's Creed video game is very much built around this idea as well. Uh, but there was actually a study once done where they uh, studied mice, lab, lab rats for several generations. And they put the rats in this community if you will and they introduced i want to say it was like a teddy bear or something to it something non-threatening and for one or two generations the rats didn't care about it then they started to like torment the rats with this thing like they would intentionally scare them with this object and uh after several generations as soon as the the rats would see this thing they would get scared so then they took it away for several generations and then they introduced it back in and as soon as they introduced it the rats freaked out 
So that either shows one of two things. One, genetic memory is a possibility. Or two, rats have an oral tradition that passes down stories. And that is even more terrifying to me. So I don't want it to be that one. Because that's like that's how Planet of the Apes starts, right? Planet of the Rats coming. But I like to think it's genetic memory. Uh, so yeah, I, I think so too. If genetic memory is a thing, we have a long enough history of humanity that somebody, I don't know how far back, but somebody in your family, in your ancestry, had to fight to survive. And beyond that, seeing as the mace is essentially the first weapon to come about, right? Stick plus heavy thing tied on the end of it, if we wanted to find maces that, then somewhere in your ancestry, there has been somebody who has had to rely on a mace to survive, who has had to rely on a mace to get through their battles. And I honestly believe that certain people like yourself, like myself, like Leo, like Essek, like uh, Rick Brown, like Paul Terrace Walkowinski, those people who, as soon as they touch the mace, they're connected to it forever. I think those people just have a little bit stronger connection to that genetic memory, to that somewhere in their DNA, it is ingrained that this mace is going to help them through their battles. It's going to help them be that warrior that we've talked about. Yeah, so uh, what's appealing? There's something appealing about mace and clubs to us people, us, us in this community, and this could possibly be it. Why do we pick it up and run with it? Why are we on podcasts talking about it when other people are just like, "Eh, I don't want to do that." You know, there's something right. There's something there. So that that's a very good theory that you have there. That's my thoughts, man. I, I, uh, when I travel to teach, I've been lucky enough to travel to a few different really cool places. And one of the first things I do two things whenever I roll into a new city, one, I find the oldest graveyard that I can. And I go walk around it just to like check out gravestones and stuff. Cause I'm, I'm weird like that. But the other thing I do is I find <laughs> the museum. I find a museum and I go check out the museum. And so I've been lucky enough to go around like the British Museum in London and to spend time at the Natural History Museum in New York City. Like I've been to some of the big museums in the world. And one thing I realized uh, in the, well, in the New York Museum, actually, when I was there was every single culture on earth, every single one has two things in common. They have a cultural music and they have a cultural mace. Every culture. They have some form of leverage weapon that has been ingrained in their culture. They have some form of music that has been ingrained in culture. So to me, if I were to define, hey, what is humanity? I would say music and mace. Wow. That's, yes. Well, I love that. And so uh, as far as the culture we exist in, we're, we exist in Western culture, right? So the mace was used in the medieval times that we know of. Uh, and and ceremonially, to this day, um, there is a mace of the United States of America, a, a very specific, like it is a, it's beautiful. It has a big eagle on top of it. It's dope. Um, Canada has a mace. There's the mace of Canada. There is my, my, old, my city has its own mace. Like it's become a bit of a ceremonial thing. But even if you just think of that, like that shows how deep that connection to mace is. It's not a ceremonial sword. It's not a ceremonial musket. It's not a ceremonial bow and arrow. It's a ceremonial mace. Yeah. All over Western society. 
all over England, America, Canada, um, even like the like France has one, Italy has one, Spain has one. They all have this cultural mace, the ceremonial mace. Do we use them in combat much these days? No. But even if we go back to World War One, World War Two, we look at some of the trench weapons that started to develop. Yeah, we look at maces. <laughs> right. Yeah. Just the simple. Exactly. Mace. It's it's the first tool. Like if reliable. Exactly. Like if we go way back to the dawn of human history, uh, I'm sure the first tool was just some dude picked up a rock and started hitting shit with it. Fantastic. Right. I'm sure it was not very long after that they realized, hey, stick on end of thing hits better. And so since then, we've just been recycling that idea in a wide variety of ways. And we've added some significance to it here and there, but we've felt so connected to it that it's become a symbol of government. It's become a symbol of well, healing and self-expression. It's become a symbol of fitness. It's become a symbol of war. It's just, it's everywhere. And I find that to be a really cool and really beautiful thing. And yeah, I definitely find that those of us who maybe who maybe feel it as soon as we touch the mace might just be a little bit more tapped into that side of the world. And if a person grabs it and they don't feel it right away, it's not to say that they don't have this in their history. They don't have this in their ancestry. Uh, it just doesn't connect with them for one way, one thing or another. I like to say not everything's for everyone. And that's why there's so many different practices out there. But uh Give it more than one session. I do always say that as well. Give it more yeah. than one. Yeah, give it, give it uh, four or five sessions. Absolutely. Even. So what I do at Warrior Flow, I used to do one free class. That's how I would like try and introduce people to the maze. Hey, come to a class completely free. We'll rock it. And people come to the class, they'd be like, that was so neat. That's so different. I've never moved like that in my life. I've never done anything like that. That was really cool. But then I wouldn't see them again. What I started doing was, hey, $10 and you can come to as many classes as you want for a month. I picked up a weight sandbag from freedomstrength.us. Freedomstrength.us has sandbags of various kinds. You got to see what they have. There's a whole assortment. The kind I picked up is like ball. I, it's a 50-pound bag, um, which is heavy enough, believe it or not. I mean, if you're a really big, strong person, you know, he's got the bigger sizes. But for the way I like to train um, – you know, I like to swing my mace, and then after I get done swinging, I pick up the 50-pound sandbag, and I throw it around. But it's really great because I could throw it in my truck. If you have a car, you could throw it in your trunk, and uh, you could take it to the park with your mace and other stuff. And it actually acts as a seat or something to support yourself on when you're working out. Um, so you could do these, like, varied workouts, and you could really have a lot of fun. I'll put it on the ground and I'll actually lay on it. I'll put my upper back on it and I'll put myself into a bridge position. And then from there, I'll take a kettlebell or a heavy mace or something like that. And I'll, I'll just bench press it. And that's, and that's how it turns into a bench, but it's also a seat. Um, you could pick it up. You could do farmer's carries or you could throw it around and, that's what I'm doing with that sandbag. You guys can do whatever you want to do. Like I said, there's other things at freedomstrength.us that you can take a look at, such as uh, clothing and gear, weight vests, bands, all that stuff. So go to freedomstrength.us. My discount code for you is SMN10. That's Steel Mace Nation 10, SMN10. Get 10% off. 
help support the podcast and help support an American company. Thanks a lot. Because I've realized that it takes more than one for that bug to bite sometimes, no matter what the practice is, not just steel mace. But I've found that if a person, if they they pay their $10, they come to one class and then I don't see them again, they're probably not going to sign back up. But if they come to two, I will see them again the next month because so something bites. Yeah, It's the second one. It's the second time they show up that you notice is that, yeah. all right. Because they, they already have the urge to come back. So yeah. they're coming back and now it's just going to feel better the next time, right? Exactly that. And just like any practice, the more you do it, the more invested you get into it, the more you dive into it. Um, I think, to, I'll be blunt, I think a, one of the reasons a lot of people, well, I think there's two primary reasons that people don't fall in love with the mace or stick with the mace. One is in the West, especially in movement, we are very tense. We are very yang, as I like to say, in our movement. And to do well with the mace, you need to be able to let go a little bit. You need mm -hmm. to have skin. You need to be able to move fluidly. And a lot of people in the Western world struggle with that, uh, especially if they do have a training background of some kind. Uh, they struggle. So because they have that struggle to, to let go, if you will, uh, they're maybe a little hesitant to try it again. That's the big one. I think that's, that's the biggest one is there's that divide. Uh, the other group I find that they'll try the mace and then they'll maybe never really attempted again uh is they're not they're not the people who how to phrase this nicely they're maybe not the people willing to develop a skill they they right. want to just do be told what to do and do the thing they're not interested in developing a skill they want it simple they don't want to think about nothing and they want to get right into actually doing something they don't want to go through a a phase where they're a total green beginner and are making mistakes left and right Exactly. It's that common internet meme of like, uh, hey, why'd you stop the thing? Oh, because I wasn't good at it as soon as I started doing it. It's, it's that. Yeah. And I like to say Mace Indian Clubs, they're skill-based fitness practice. You, The fitness comes through the focus on the skill. Uh, I also like to equate it like this. Uh, if you were to take a hour-long guitar lesson, you would not go tour with Metallica after that. It would take some practice. Same idea in the Mace world. You take an hour-long Mace class, you don't really know much yet. Right. You might be confident and comfortable in one or two moves, but you're going to need to put some practice in. Yeah. So now when you um, are seeking out new clients and stuff like that, or, or I should say uh, for coaches around the world who are starting off with, um, you know, trying to get new clients into this strange modality where everybody automatically assumes it's bad for your shoulders and your elbows um, it's going to hurt your back and it's some kind of crazy fad, even though it's been around for thousands of years. <laughs> How do you market? How do you get people? Good question. Uh, so one of the things I am a firm believer of is that passion shines through passion shines through you. You got to love it. If you're doing it because it's the most recent certification you took or uh, if you're trying to draw people in because you see me or you or Leo or someone else having success in this in this facet of the of the industry and you think, hey, I want that too, uh, it's not going to work. You have to love it. So passion shines through. If you are putting out content where you are generally showing, genuinely showing that you love this thing, it's going to draw people in. 
I don't know how many times I've just been in the park, just doing the thing, but I'm having a good time. So people come and ask me what I'm doing. That's passion shining through. I've had so many times where I've had a student, like a new student or someone message me and they're like, Hey, uh, I don't really know what this thing is. Like, can you explain it to me? And they ask like that one question on two lines of a text message. And I send them back like six paragraphs of text. And they're like, man, you clearly love this thing. That person signs up. People are drawn to passion. It doesn't matter what you're passionate about. It could be the weirdest thing on earth. We are the Mason clubs even, but if you're passionate about it, it'll draw some people in. There's this really cool video out there. It was, I want to say it's was taken somewhere in England five, six years ago. And it's just, there's this event going on and there's music playing, but everyone's just kind of hanging out, like laying on picnic blankets kind of thing. But there's one guy dancing. And at first, a couple of people are making fun of him. And then the video kicks back in five minutes later and there's four people dancing all around him. And then it kicks back in a few minutes later and there's 30 people. And then it kicks back in later and everyone's gotten up off their blankets and they're dancing. That one guy, he might've been laughed at at first, but he was passionate about what he was doing. He was having himself a good time and it drew people in and drew people in and drew people in. And I think it's the same thing in our industry. As long as you are passionate about it, as long as you keep showing people that you love it, they'll come. And then you just have to deliver on the education, essentially. You have to get them to a point where they're comfortable enough and confident enough that they can start to love it too. Because that the quickest way to lose love is to lack confidence. If you come into something and you're gung-ho about it and you're, you start struggling, it's going to pull you back a little bit. So my next big bit of advice for anyone who's starting this up is, yeah, one, start putting out content there where you are generally show, genuinely showing that you love it. And even talking about loving it is big too. Like record some videos, talk about why you love it and how much you love it. But then the next thing would be when you have someone come in for the first time, make sure you give them a no fail situation. Too many people, too many people bring a student in for the first time and they start trying to show them everything under the sun and power to you. You're excited, but you got to remember like this person is brand new to this device. They're brand new to this tool. So what I tell people is have three, four, five moves or flows or whatever that you can confidently teach anybody doesn't matter who like if you can't teach it to your grandmother don't teach it to anyone else like have five things that you can teach anybody and when they walk in that day you make sure they learn at least one of those if not all five of those and you do so in a way where they can't fail so by that i mean um let's say i have someone they're brand new brand spanking new they never swung a mace before i am confident and comfortable enough with my coaching practice that i know for a fact i will be able to teach them at least a rudimentary version of a 360. So the first thing I'm going to show them when they walk in is how to swing the mace, 360s and 10 and 2s. And then I am going to say, all right, I'm going to give you a few minutes to play with that. And then I'll, I'll check back on you in a little bit. I don't say, all right, I want you to do 10 reps of that. I want you to do 20 reps of that, whatever. Because if they do 12 and they're supposed to do 20, they failed. If they do 18 and they lose control, they failed. And that's what they'll think. Oh, I failed. I can speak to this very well. I just set a goal of 24 hours. I did 15 hours. I felt like I failed. Right. Though I accomplished something very impressive, I still felt like I failed. Yes. So I like to give them a no-fail situation. And a lot of it, again, back to language, comes down to phrasing. I don't say, hey, you need to swing this mace for a minute. I say, hey, you have a minute to swing this mace. 
Ah. Pause if you need to work when you can. So they have a no fail situation. And I let people know, hey, pause if you need to work when you can. Because at the end of the day, it's their session, right? It's their session. We give the time, we give the moves, but they're doing the work. So pause if you need to work when you can, but make sure you're finding your best. And uh, that would be my, my biggest things of recommendation. One, passion shines through. Two, have something that you can teach literally everybody. And three, no fail situation. And that seems to be the magic recipe, my friend. That's very nice. Very simple. Now, yeah. if people want to uh, become Steel Mace Flow certified, you guys uh, in the Steel Mace Flow system now have it where they could pick and choose a coach and do it remotely even. Absolutely. So someone can actually do that with you, right, Zach? You can, yes. Yeah. So I... I actually, I recently became the level one head educator. So I oversee the other educators now as well uh, through the level one stuff. We also have a level two certification out as well. Uh, I'm one of the educators for the level two certification, but Jeff is the head educator on that one. And I just got to say that dude's real good at his job. Uh, but uh, as, yeah, so as far as the certifications go, we are doing a lot of them just one-on-one -on -one remote now. So, uh, I personally have been doing a lot of those and have been enjoying them immensely. Of course, live certifications are a ton of fun and they're a great experience, but it's been amazing to be able to connect with people in that one-on-one -on -one format. How I personally do it is I spread out the sessions over multiple weeks so that I can really start to develop a relationship with the person and can make sure that they are where they want to be by the end of the course. Um, we do, if a person already has the level one, they're able to take the level two, same idea. They can do it online, one-on-one, -on -one, or there are group situations here and there. Um, yeah, and any one of the educators can teach the level one. There are a handful of us, Jeff, Jamie, myself, and Leo that teach the level two. Uh, what are some other details on that? Oh, and again, it doesn't really matter where you are in the world. There will be somebody that'll be able to help you out. We have an educator now in Belgium as well. So he's able to help out people who are on that side of the world because time zones can be a little weird. Uh, uh, yeah. as, as mentioned, I have a weird schedule as is. So I, I end up taking a lot on a lot of international students as well. Uh, for example, I have a student right now who's in Malaysia, I have a student in India right now, I have a student in Scotland right now, like I do take on a lot of internationals. Um, so there will always be some coach who is there. If you have a specific coach in mind, of course, their scheduling will vary, but there's always a Steel Maceful educator ready and willing to pass on the knowledge that they've accumulated. Now, what would you say is um, the the difference between steel mace flow one and steel mace flow two and i know that's a weird thing to say a difference because it's the same thing but i'm just trying to simplify the question oh, um like yeah. i took steel mace flow one but i have not taken steel mace flow two so i have an expectation in my head of something that might not be realistic what can you explain about the the differences yeah so uh the i like i love analogies i love analogies i love metaphors if i were to take this, throw it into an analogy or a metaphor, it would be the level one is learning how to print. The level two is learning calligraphy. So uh, I think even just the naming helps illustrate it a little bit. The level one is for the steel mace flow practitioner. The level two is for the steel mace flow artist. So essentially it is 
one, we scale up all the ideas and the concepts to create just that little bit extra deeper knowledge. But then we start to talk about, well, let's be blunt. The level one is the foundations. It's a lot of basic movements. You do like five moves. You do prayer switches in the switch curl and the ballistic curl. You do uppercuts, you do bow and arrows, you do 360s. Uh, depending on who your educator was, you might've looked at certain presses, certain rows, that sort of thing. We look at our four steps, right? Step one, two, three, four, our lunge lines. Like and that's kind of the gist of it. And then you learn um, the masterclass flow, which it's complex. It can be tricky for the brain, but if we really look at it in the grand scheme of things, it's basic. It's incredibly basic. There's one transition that's done in it and it's a prayer switch, right? Like it's, it's a simple flow. The level two, on the other hand, much more complex. Uh, we're learning sword swings and cradles and mills and uh, looking at different versions of 360s. And then when you get into the, the level two version of the math, class flow which is known as the war dance it is anything but simple uh it starts off with four pieces of well four separate flows that all utilize what we call mace animals so groundwork then it segues into what we call the waterfall series where we look at four different waterfalls then it goes into four additional flows which have these like twisting turning steps and they're very a lot more circular and there's wrist controls involved and Shaolin's and all that kind of stuff and, and one-handed motions. And so it's a lot more complex in that sense. It's a lot more physically demanding in that sense as well. Uh, to the point where I have, I have several students who they, they can do like the masterclass flow and not break a sweat kind of thing. Like they can do 10, like the masterclass flow start to finish 10 times in a row and like feel comfortable and confident. And then I show them the victory dance and they do it once. They're just, or pardon me, the war dance, and they're just gassed, they're spent, they're bagged, because it is, is a lot more physically demanding. But then um, beyond that, part of the level two is you actually have to come up with your own flow series as well. So wow. because of that, there's a lot more mental aspect to it. There's a lot more emotional aspect to it as well as you create these flows and you describe these flows and you explain these flows. And then when you perform these flows as well, and... Uh, so yeah, it's, it's a much bigger, much bigger undertaking at the end of the day. Uh, when you say emotional, um, <laughs> and then we're talking about the warrior mindset, we, we picture a warrior as somebody who's really not emotional. They're like calculated, logical. So are you guys teaching how to do that? Because in order to, to be um, logical and, and separate from your emotions. You you need to have emotions. There's a dichotomy there. There is, so, yeah. You must the, the questions you must get from people while they're going through this process must be wild. Like, is are you guys getting into stuff like that? Oh, absolutely. Uh, so a big a big aspect of it is taking the movements, taking the flows, figuring out. Well, essentially what they mean to you in a wide variety of ways. Maybe it makes you feel a certain way. Maybe it reminds you of a certain thing, whatever. Taking those connections, tying them into the movements, tying them into the flows, and then using your movement practice to well, find flow state, if you will. Or I like to phrase it too as active meditation. Yeah. Uh, if we can have meaning assigned to our movement and to our flow, and then we go into this practice of active meditation utilizing that flow we're now able to channel that a little bit more you know so like let's say for example um i'll use a master class flow 
flow, for example, because it's one most people know. The warrior walk, talking about warriors, soft warrior walk. The warrior walk flow represents the person who fights to move forward. They've been pulled back, they've been dragged down, but they load their hip and they fight to move forward. I love that one. It's my favorite flow in the masterclass flow. Yeah. When I am having a day of defeat, where I feel like things haven't been going my way, where I feel like there's a wall in front of me or there's an obstacle in front of me and I'm not sure what to do, I'll set a timer for 10 minutes and I'll just do the warrior walk flow for 10 minutes straight and I'll burn and I'll gas out, my legs will hurt and I'll hit that point where everything hurts so much I can't think about it anymore and I got to just find that state, that flow state, that active meditation. But because I've been doing this flow that is designed to elicit the warrior, when I finish it, I feel like I can take on the world. I feel like whatever that obstacle was, man, I'm ready to fight it. Let's go. Let's do the thing. So we can so this, is, this is wild because I don't know if you realize, but this ties back into what we were just talking about before about faking it till you make it and talking to yourself uh, with the proper way. Like I'm not, I didn't fail. Well, isn't that kind of what you're doing when you're doing this warrior flow after you've had a defeated day? You're like, no, I'm not going to, I'm not going to go to bed feeling defeated i'm gonna just do this warrior flow and now you're doing a physical movement thing which may even be more powerful in some cases for some people besides uh talking to yourself but now you do both you say okay i had a shitty day but you know what it could have been a lot worse and and you know what i'm gonna do this warrior flow and i'm gonna dig in and and change your entire outlook right it's uh it's movement manifestation you know, like oh, they, yeah. talk, they talk about, hey, manifest this into reality, right? Speak it into reality, manifest into reality. If speaking it is powerful, right? And actions speak louder than words, then yeah. if, if we movement manifest this or whatever, however you want to phrase it, then in theory, that shit should be powerful. I am also a, uh, do you know Tom Bellinger, War Yoga? Yes, he's going to be coming on the podcast. Okay, good. Tom is a very good friend of mine. I love Tom. I've I've slept in his spare room. I've swung God in his garden. Like he's wow. a good, good friend of mine. Love the guy. Yeah. And he introduced him and Will Calvani, uh, who's really not on the social media world as much these days, still on Facebook, but I digress. Um, they introduced me to this concept of nothing for nothing. And I love it. Nothing for nothing. If you want something, you have to give something. And a lot of what the war yoga is, is making essentially a, a physical sacrifice of yourself right. in order to, to get what you want out of life, in order to accomplish what you want, in order to grow how you want or whatever that may be. And I think of this a little bit like that as well. If I want to feel better, I am internally, I am more than willing to, to sacrifice some of the external. Uh, I've dealt with a lot of emotional strife in my life. I've dealt with some mental health issues in my life. Um, and I know, and I've dealt with a lot of physical pain in my life. I would much rather take physical pain. So for me, when I'm in those states, I am, I am going to, yes, movement manifest, but I also think of it as I am sacrificing my energy, my, my, the muscles in my body. Sometimes I'm feeling them break down. Well, we're literally breaking them down. Right. So we're sacrificing this. In You're order sacrificing to your time. 
Exactly. We're sacrificing something, time, energy, um, whatever it may be, we are sacrificing it to get something. And I, I would say that any fitness practice, no matter what you do, is a form of sacrifice. Maybe your goal is to build a better physique, build bigger numbers, step on a stage, whatever. Well, you're sacrificing your time and your energy to get that goal. You are, you're, you're doing that. It's just a thing. But in the steel mix flow world, we have that side of it where, yeah, we're trying to get stronger. We're trying to change our, our look, maybe whatever it is, but we're also trying to work that internal, right? Uh, inspired to uh, the educate to heal is one of the things we say in steel mix flow. So yeah. I'm going to sacrifice my time, my energy to start to work this internal to heal. And if I can connect my flow practice to some sort of meaning, to some sort of representation of where I want to get, then that sacrifice is just going to be amplified. That manifestation is just going to be amplified. And in theory, things will start going my way a little bit more. Yeah, that's awesome. And I believe that. And and you know what? There's proof already. Um, I mean, if anybody just came onto this podcast right now and heard you saying that and they were doubting it, no, because uh, before we were, there was anything known about steel mace flow or whatever, at least here in the United States, you know, I mean, how many people would get into bodybuilding or powerlifting and they would say, well, that's where I got my confidence from. Yeah. That's where I learned to carry myself differently. So they sacrificed, they did all that hard work and they went from somebody who was uh, had low confidence to somebody that had high confidence. Well, what is that? That's an exchange. That's a sacrifice for something worth, you know, worth your while. Yeah, exactly. Right. Like exactly. Right. And, uh, I, and I just, again, huge shout out to Tom and Will for, for explaining that to me a handful of years ago, like way back when, like 2018, even actually that conversation was time flies, but, uh, they were, and it was simple, like they were just talking, we were talking about building goddess, making goddess. And they were talking about how they both were doing this thing where they were essentially making a small sacrifice into the gada to help like get the gada what they wanted to do, essentially. I called it gada magic, where they would put these things into the gada to try and channel specific things from the gada. And they were explaining it to me. And I asked, I was just like, why? Like, why do that? And I'll never forget when Will just looked at me and he goes, nothing for nothing. If you want something, you have to give something. And I was like, oh. And then they like explained in a little bit more detail and got a little bit more into it. And I was like, man, like that is, that is something. And yeah, similar idea. I first started thinking of that, like, yeah, okay. Like when a person starts sacrificing their time and their energy into anything, they generally get results from it. And that is that exchange. But if we can take it into that like metaphysical aspect, if you will, um, and start to work on what I call soul gains using it, then we can take this practice and turn it into what we need, or we can get what we need from it by well, pouring ourselves into it, essentially. Uh, I love the mace, obviously, very obviously. I love the mace and I love the clubs. And the more time I can spend with the tools in my hand, the happier I am because I just love doing it. So if I'm able to work my brain by coming up with new flows, cool. I've That's awesome. If I'm able to work my body by swinging the mace, by flowing with the mace, fantastic. If I'm able to work my soul by moving the mace in some way, well, it's now a whole holistic practice. And at the end of the day, that's what we're all looking for, right? Is to improve our mind, body, and soul. So if I can use this thing that I love to do it, I'm going to do it. Yeah. 
That's that's great stuff. And, you know, it, it goes to show that, um, there, you know, when you look, when you see somebody swinging a mace, it's there's nothing simple really going on there. It's simple, but it's not. You know, there's something more complex. This is the mysteries of of this modality that we're uncovering here. And that's why it's such a pleasure to speak with people like yourself and do this podcast. Um, you know, the podcast for me has has really helped me so much with um, getting an understanding on all of these concepts. And it's, you know, these interviews, uh, people who have been doing it like yourself, where you you dedicate 15 hours to swinging. I mean, you're a man that has something to say. So that's that's really uh, awesome stuff, and and um, you know if anybody is nibbling around the edges with steel mace and wants to maybe um, explore it, this is the stuff that you have to look forward to. So Zach, before we end the show, um, I just want to get back to what your plans are uh, for the future with this. Uh, are you still going to try to tackle a twenty-four hour swing? So I, I went back and forth on it for, well, the last three or so weeks, however long it's been since the swing. I, I've gone back and forth and back and forth and back and forth and back and forth because um, I, I will be blunt. I felt a little traumatized afterwards. I was I was a little like freaked out. I was a little scared of certain things. The first time I stepped foot back in the studio, I had a bit of a panic attack. Just it was that um, going back to the site of the war, essentially kind of thing where it was like, holy shit. And I like had to catch myself and remind myself, dude, you just swung a mace. Like, it's okay. And wow. That's incredible. Oh, it, it, it's not, it's not the first time that's happened where I've had some sort of like, like trauma response after doing one of these long sets, but it was definitely one of the harder ones. Um, so I've gone back and forth and I've gone back and forth and I've gone back and forth. And what I've, what I've, what I've decided is this. I am going to continue to push the envelope when it comes to the Indian clubs for sure. I'm going to attempt 30 hours in June. I will attempt 30 hours in June. I did 24 hours. Before that, I did 18 hours. So that six-hour jump with the clubs seems doable. What I realized is I need to be more smart with my smart goals. And remember, smart with an R, not smart without the R. So I need that realistic. So I will one day do 24 hours. Uh, but it's going to take a couple more years. So in this upcoming December, I'm going to try for 18 will be the play. And then in 2024, I'll shoot for 21. And then in 2025, I'm going to go for 24 hours is, is the plan. We'll see how it plays out, of course, but we've broken it down a little bit. That seems like a very doable option. Uh, I'm still lucky to be, uh, my physical body is still able to do this. So I'm going to keep doing it as long as I can, of course. Yeah. Uh, and I'm, I'm all about long-term goals as well. I one day want to break Tom Burrow's Indian club record. So I had, I have a, I had a 20 year plan laid out as to how I was going to accomplish it. I'm, I have 15 years to go. So I'm, I'm, I'm steady on progress. So it, I'm okay with having to lengthen this 24 hour goal with the Mace a little bit, but yeah, by 2025, I will have done a, well, by 2026, I guess, I will have accomplished a 24-hour swing. All right. People definitely got to uh, follow you closely because this is going to be an interesting uh, several next years. And if I might make a suggestion to you um, for doing this, maybe um, get somebody 
who will be your technology yeah. person, <laughs> your expert who's going to handle all that stuff so you could disassociate from it. I mean, I did jump on YouTube uh, a couple of times throughout. Uh, and, you know, I mean, like at the first time I came on, you were moving. The second time I came on, it was the same thing. And it was like hours later. <laughs> and I'm like, wow, this is uh, it, it, it just blows my mind. It's just bonkers to see somebody like you do that. So, um, you know, uh, yeah, I think you're going to be I think you're going to be fine with this, with these ideas that you have for the long term goals and everything. And um, it, I, like I said, people need to follow you and keep an eye on you for this. Um, and yeah. I bet you I wouldn't even doubt it if somebody else doesn't kind of jump and throw their hat into the ring on this and there's somebody else that's going to try to do it which I would be really so. wild i hope so i honestly hope so there's uh there's um that cat uh out in i want to say spain his, his instagram hands like ggi orlando or something like that along those lines uh gregory i think is his name something along those yes. lines. something with a g he uh he's done a 12 hour swing before i know that well with a little bit of a different set he did 11 hours of swinging and then every hour would take a five minute pause over the course of the, the 12 hour or over the course of the whatever it ended up being 12 hours so that's a guy who does a lot of endurance swinging as well and has a fair bit of students who do endurance swinging as well so i definitely feel that there's probably going to be a european that starts pushing the envelope when it comes to the volume swings as well but i would love to see another canadian or um just anyone from north america another u.s citizen canadian whatever throwing their hat in the arena and, and seeing what can be accomplished. I have yeah. a student who's done seven hours. I have multiple students who've done two hours. So I'm, I'm hoping that with a little bit of encouragement, they might start pushing it a little bit more as well. Okay. There it is right there because yeah, those are your, your people right there. So they're all getting caught up in the, in the idea of doing this. So that you're going to have somebody coming up in the ranks. That's going to compete against you. Probably. That, so I so hope so. I think, in my opinion, the the goal of every single coach, every single coach on earth, your goal should be to train somebody to be better than you. Right. If you're not training them to be better than you, you're doing them a disservice. So that's the mission of the coach, to be surpassed by your student. Excellent stuff. Zach, thank you for coming on and you know, telling us your story about this and, and all that other good stuff that we talked about today. Uh, look forward to having you back on again one day. So uh, stay in touch. And um, thanks, everybody, for tuning into this one. Uh, I hope you watched episode 198 first. But if you didn't, now go back and watch that one and see see the prequel to this. Absolutely. And uh, hey, thank you again for having me on. I always love to talk mace, especially with people as passionate about it as I am. So I appreciate this. And again, I always appreciate the, just the fact that you do this podcast and it's out there for the community to learn, to grow, and to have a platform to, to speak their voice, to get their ideas out there. I really appreciate that. And hey, as always, if you liked the things that I said or even just liked the way that I looked, you can always find me at Frankenlegs on Instagram or YouTube. And uh, hey, I'm always down to talk Mason clubs. So please feel free to message me anytime. Yeah, that's obvious. So <laughs> anybody who wants to talk Mesa clubs, hit them up, DM them and, and good luck. Cause you're going to be, you're going to be on a long call. <laughs> yes.
Absolutely. And then just before I go, uh, just to pitch a couple things, of course, we, as we talked about, there's that still may school level one and level two certification. Uh, if you happen to own a fitness facility, you can hit us up for live courses. If you want to learn one-on-one, -on -one, we do them live or online, depending on where you're at in the world. Um, and that's the level one or the level two. And then if you are local to my hometown of Regina, Saskatchewan, I am making my professional wrestling debut on February 3rd. So come on out to the Eastview Community Center. What? Like, what kind of wrestler? Like, pro wrestling, buddy. Like, WWE, AEW style. Like, that is awesome. Is, are we going to be able to see this on online or anything? Yeah, so it'll be taped and everything. It'll be filmed, and I'll make sure that it gets posted online. Uh, I'll, I'll, yeah, you'll see the hype videos leading up to it and everything. And I'll, uh, I'll be reaching out to some other Mace people out there who have a little bit of a background in this. Brad Hutchinson, he was a professional wrestler back in his day. He was actually uh, a top 500 in the world for a little while. Um, there's John Bullard in uh, Chicago who owns a wrestling promotion. And of course, Al Snow, the great Al Snow. Yeah, um, right. TV fame is uh, a Mace guy as well. So uh, I'm, I'm lucky to have a, a lot of Mace people in my back pocket who might be able to give me some advice. Yeah. Wow. And what's going to be your stage name or your, not your stage name, your ring, ring name. name, my ring name. <laughs> yes. So I was considering just going with at first, just my real name, Zach Yannick, but a lot of people mispronounce my last name because it's how it's spelled. So then for a brief moment, I was like, I'll just go with the, the online thing. I'll be Frankenlives. Yeah. Uh, but I had a friend point out to me and I, I was kicking myself in the ass for being almost 30 and just now realizing this, but my last name rhymes with the word panic. So I might go with Zach Panic. <laughs> okay. What do you think? What do you think? All right. Zach Panic. Yeah, it's 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 interesting. It might grow on people. It might, it might. But yeah, so still nobody'll know what Franken legs means, really. Yeah, that, so that's the thing. So yeah. uh, that's uh, there would be a lot of explanation that would have to happen, unfortunately. It, yeah. I mean it's it's because you have a, a cadaver tendon in yes. you, right? In your yeah, life. So I have uh, a donor tendon in my one leg, and then I have nine inches of titanium and eight screws in my other okay. leg. <laughs> right, that's right. Nine inches of titanium. Maybe you call yourself that, nine inches of titanium. <laughs> <laughs> I might get the wrong crowd if... Uh... <laughs> <laughs> right, right. But you might make a lot more money, though. True, true, true. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, hey, thanks for letting me uh, shout that out real quick as well. Yeah, man. Good luck with that. Keep us posted. Keep us notified. Everybody follow Zach at Frankenlegs on Instagram. He's got a YouTube channel too. Go check it out. Maybe uh, you can learn something. Hit him up. Steel Mace Flow. Steel Mace Flow 1. Steel Mace Flow 2. Do it. Try it out. All right, Zach. Thanks. My pleasure, brother. Peace and love. Thanks, everybody. Peace and love, bro.